Hello and welcome to The Crumb, a podcast from Bake From Scratch magazine. We're here to talk baking in all forms, the people, the culture, and the baked goods that make us run to preheat our oven. Hello and welcome to The Crumb. I'm Cal Grace Mills, the managing editor at Bake From Scratch magazine. And I'm Brian Hart Hoffman, the editor-in-chief of Bake From Scratch. And we're back with we're another back. episode. <laughs> we're here to talk about baking. <laughs> yes, I know. You weren't expecting that. Um, you know, yeah. I was going to talk about conspiracy theories no, and aliens, but no. we're going to talk about baking instead. Let's do that. Let's okay. do that. Let's stick to what we know, Kyle Grace. <laughs> All right. I mean, I know a little bit about aliens, but... Nope. I <laughs> back up, back up, back up. We're going to talk about... Uh, baking. So, uh, Brian, it's a big crazy summer coming into fall and uh you've been baking a lot but i want to know what you are currently baking right now and you're right i've been baking a lot so taking on this whole teaching class gig has brought about me baking a lot for work and sometimes i forget that i also need to bake for fun and that i can do that too and not have to have like a curriculum development going on And one thing that I cannot let summer end without baking is a beautiful loaf of milk bread uh, using, you know, the Tang Zong method that I, I swear by. This is, and it's actually going to tie in perfectly to today's episode. We'll get to that in just a second. But every summer I make a loaf of milk bread because I believe that it is the perfect complement to a mater sandwich. And that for everyone else is a tomato sandwich. And here in the South, we love to take our summer vine-ripe tomatoes, slice some nice, beautiful slices, put them on bread with mayonnaise, salt and pepper, and that's it. And that's it. I mean, we don't need the lettuce or the no. bacon. No, I mean, no, no. Don't it's start. Good, it's but... good, but don't do all that. You need just a good old tomato sandwich. And in my household, we fell in love with milk bread as the perfect complement to that a few years ago. So every summer, I keep getting that question. When are we going to have the milk bread weekend? When are we going to have the milk bread weekend? So that's coming right up. I can't let summer go without it. And then just to give it, you know, that milk bread does more than just one sandwich worth of work. So the next day, typically a Sunday brunch kind of a vibe with some mimosas. My husband makes fried egg sandwiches using the milk bread. And again, more mayonnaise, salt, pepper, and a fried egg and milk bread. It's perfect. It's perfect. So that's what's that's the fun baking. What about you? What's going on? So we had a big old bird's custard powder feature. Uh, Didn't we? Yeah. And you know, I love that. I mean, you and I were talking about that for a long time, wanting to get some of that delicious custard powder in there, which if you don't know about bird's custard powder, you definitely should. It is, uh, you know, a British Canadian, you know, anything that's kind of connected to the UK, like uh, baking. found in the grocery. Yeah. 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 Find in the grocery store. And it's uh, kind of like cornstarch, but it has a vanilla flavoring to it. So it's a thickener, a natural thickener, and it has like that eggy, yummy, custardy flavor. And uh, so obviously much better than cornstarch, but it's like, you know, just that fine line of thickening and yellow and delicious. So I made custard cream cookies, which are a classic. Yeah, they're like the Oreos over in, you know, the UK. Like, that's how big they are there. Well, they come in a few different flavors. Yes. Chocolate, strawberry, and 
just the custard plain cream, vanilla, just like the, the plain yeah. vanilla. And the classic custard cookies, you know, it's got a beautiful ornate design on the, you know, actual cookie, and it's just got a custard. Again, you're using that bird's custard powder in the cookie and in the like filling. And, uh, you know, I didn't have one of those beautiful little stamps or a pretty little rolling pin. So I tried and I've seen a lot of different (laughs) bakers do this online recently. uh, But they have been like pressing glasses and like the decorative bottom of a glass to try and do like starburst and things. I tried to do this with uh, my glass with a starburst and it ended up looking like hemp leaves oh my God. also known as a marijuana leaf and luckily when i baked it it baked out but when it happened Ooh. i was like of course i'm just trying to make a pretty little star people might think you infused it with some i know they're like something. oh that's got some cbd in it i'm like no that's gross i just just trying to make things pretty but you know decorating hey, just never a my for effort on that kyle grace we try and sometimes it just does not work but they were still delicious oh my gosh they're amazing everybody that's tried them has just been like the next best sandwich cookie that they've ever had it's just really good i i agree i love them so everyone listening make the custard cream cookies but use something different for a decoration yes do not do what she did but make the recipe (laughs) so today i am so excited that we finally have a sit down interview with christina cho she is the blogger behind Icho Food, and she has a brand new, amazing, beautiful cookbook hitting the shelves very soon. It is Mooncakes and Milk Bread. I told you there was a connection to my milk bread conversation. She takes it way further, does it much better, and has some amazing recipes that I cannot wait for everyone in the baking world to have in their home kitchen. Um, But I am so excited that she's joining us as we are getting very close to September 21st, the date for this year's Mid-Autumn Festival. And we're going to find out all about the foods and the traditions and her plans and everything in just a few moments. But I do want to make a mention of our sponsors of today's episode, Red Star Yeast, Kerrygold Butter, and CNH Sugar. Thank you so much for being partners and supporting The Crumb. Without their support, we can't be here chatting about baking and what we love to do in the kitchen. So without any further babbling by me let's turn our conversation now and chat with christina cho hello christina and welcome to the crumb hi happy to be here we are so happy you're joining us and first before we even get into any conversation i just want to say congratulations on the release of your new book it is absolutely beautiful Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait for it to be out in the world. I know. We've already gotten a sneak peek, so it's always fun here at Bake From Scratch to get some of the advanced review copies so that we get that sneak peek to tell everyone just how amazing it is. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we wanted to talk about and bring you on for is that we're nearing the Mid-Autumn Festival, which is a perfect um, you know, festival to kind of also look at your cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Um, the Mid-Autumn Festival's out on uh, September 21st is when it's happening. Uh, and I know that you experienced it as a, as a kid and, you know, still enjoy it. How would you celebrate the festival growing up? And what classic Chinese food is often served during the holiday? Oh, yeah. Mid- Mid-Autumn Festival, I would say, at least in, like, my family, was probably, like, the second, like, big celebrated, like, holiday um, with Chinese New Year being, like, um, a pretty big celebration for us. But my grandma... Um, 
always loved Mid Autumn Festival because she kind of grew up in like a farming like family, and Mid Autumn Festival is made is kind of like a celebration to kind of like kick off like the fall harvest and like eat various foods that are kind of like lucky and auspicious to um, give you like a bountiful like harvest. You know, in, in the coming months, that's kind of like how it started. Um, and so for every Mid Autumn Festival, the whole family would kind of come over to my grandparents' house and we'd have a big dinner. Um, in terms of like food, like the one thing that sticks out. Um, in my memory, and I was just talking to my mom about it, um, was that, like, at the very end, uh, my grandma would always have this kind of, like, steamer or, like, bowl of, like, steamed or, like, braised taro, which is kind of, like, these small, almost like potatoes, um, and she would cook them every year because they're supposed to kind of resemble and, like, mimic the moon, and we would take those outside after we eat, like, our big dinner and eat the taro out in her garden while gazing at the moon as kind of, like, a symbolic um, gesture, um, but that's, like, one of, like, the standout things that I would remember because I was always thought, like, oh, this is, like, kind of weird, like, <laughs> or not, like, weird, but I've never heard of anyone else's family doing this, like, tradition of eating taro in the garden, um, but otherwise, the food, um, I, I feel like the food that we would eat during Mid-Autumn Festival was pretty similar to the stuff we would make at uh, Chinese New Year, like, we would have, like, roast duck and lots of noodles and different, like, veg- like lots of vegetables to kind of, like, um, celebrate, like, the harvest of, like, the garden, things like that. And then, of course, mooncakes as our sweet kind of, like, little treat. Like, my grandma would buy a whole bunch of different um, flavors or, like, styles of mooncakes and then set them out on a platter and we would cut them up into, like, little wedges and share them, which is how you're supposed to eat mooncakes. You're always supposed to, like, take a little bite um, one mooncake is pretty, like, intense, and so you rarely ever eat, like, at least an entire, like, full-size mooncake to yourself. Yeah, though, they're very rich, and I was wondering uh, which ones were your favorite. I know you've had, it tasted so many different flavors, but, you know, what were kind of your favorite mm-hmm. classic and maybe new uh, mooncakes you've tried before? Sure. My, growing up, I always would reach for whatever mooncake had like a salted egg yolk inside. Um, I always loved it because I'm, I'm very much like a sweet and savory person. Like I love like things like pretzels and chocolate together. Um, and like not that salted egg yolks are like super similar to that, but they do kind of give that quality. Like the salted egg yolks give that kind of like kind of rich, creamy, but also like salty bite to something that complements the sweet kind of like almost like fudgy paste that's in a lot of mooncakes. And so uh, my fla- my favorite flavor combination would be white lotus paste with salted egg yolk. Um, and white lotus paste doesn't have like a super strong flavor. It's, it's, it's a really common kind of like medium to add other flavors to. Like it's, you normally use salt, um, you normally use white lotus paste to infuse like tea flavors or you can even put like cocoa powder into it, but plain white lotus paste is just like kind of just simply sweet, um, but in a good way. Um, in terms of new flavors, um, I, I just made my honey pistachio mooncakes in my cookbook the other day because my mom's visiting and we all just really love them. They kind of just taste, uh, they taste almost like a really nice candy bar with like the nutty and like slight, slightly salty uh, pistachios with some like good quality honey. And so that's kind of like a new flavor combo I loved. And then I also tried a black tea and pomelo flavor mooncake. That was really wonderful the other day. That sounds absolutely amazing. And in addition to these amazing flavors, they are some of the most beautiful 
confections that I've ever seen. And I'll never forget seeing a mooncake for the very first time and being mesmerized just by the art of it alone <laughs> before I even took the first bite. Um, and, and, and I think it's kind of, you know, it speaks to the, the artisan approach of making them and how mooncakes are often bought from bakeries. Um, but they can be made at home. And your cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread, is all about teaching bakers how to recreate classic Chinese bakery items in their home kitchen. So give our readers or our listeners some top <laughs> tips on how to recreate mooncakes at home and any tips and tricks that you've mastered along the way to, to get that bakery perfect look in the kitchen. Absolutely. Yeah, I think mooncakes get a little bit of like a bad rap for being completely like uh, not possible to make at home just because like bake baking tradition and a lot of like Chinese culture has been like really reserved for like business professionals, you know, like at a bakery or someone that has specialized in mooncakes their entire lives. Um, and there's definitely so much artistry behind it. Um, but I, I think with my approach to these recipes, um, I wanted to kind of like take them down to like the the basics so that people can make a version. There might not necessarily be the exact same version that you find at a bakery, but you at least are able to like kind of confidently participate and like learn a little bit about the tradition and the comfort of your own home. Um, So some of my top tips first starts with your mooncake mold. Um, As you said, the the designs and imprints of them are like so, so beautiful. Um, and there's a few different types of molds out there. The the classic mooncake mold is carved out of wood. Um, it kind of looks like a wooden paddle, and you place the mooncake in there and, like, apply some pressure to get the um, designs in there. But then you kind of have to, like, whack it, like, on a hard surface or something to kind of, like, get the mooncake to come out. And I've tried that, like, a few times, and it definitely takes practice to get, like, the right, like, whack <laughs> to get the mooncakes <laughs> to, like, perfectly fall out of it. Um, but... For a beginner, and I say this in the book, like I just, I really, really push for the more modern, um, like plastic plunger style mooncake mold. They are just so much easier to use, and you can swap out the designs because the imprint is like a, it's just a part of the mold. Like you can just kind of like take it off and put another design in there. So you can make a whole bunch of different styles or different patterns of mooncakes using just the same mold. Um, And it's just less frustrating. And, like, as a recipe developer, like, I never want someone to feel frustrated on their first go of trying to make something because they might not want to make it again. So the classic blender style uh, just eases the whole process. It makes it so much easier. Um, And then second, I would kind of focus on your filling. Um, There are options that you can take that, like, kind of require, like, all homemade fillings that you could, you could salt your own egg yolks, you can make your own paste, and that will take a long time. And if you feel up for it, you can totally do that. But there's also fillings that will only take you like 15 to 20 minutes to make. It's all about how you like approach it. And and um, one option that I have in the book I just mentioned is the um, honey pistachio mooncakes. All it is is you put like toasted um, pistachios in a food processor and like blend it up, not until it's a butter, but until it's kind of like crumbly um, with honey, um, salt, a little bit of cornstarch, and it becomes a really nice, sturdy, but also like delicious filling. And the filling is pretty important with the mooncakes because you want something that can hold up to the weight of your pastry on the outside and also the force of your mold so that it doesn't um, kind of like collapse 
in the oven. And then um, my last tip would be to maybe give, or my last tip would be to, after you bake your mooncakes, um, there's nothing wrong with eating like a fresh mooncake, like straight out of the oven and warm. It's wonderful. Um, But traditionally you wait like a day or two for your mooncakes to kind of like soften and, and for like the fat and the oil from your filling to kind of like infuse with the pastry on the outside. And that's where you get kind of like this really wonderful, chewy, um, soft texture. That's really classic for mooncakes. A lot of people don't wait and they're like, oh, this doesn't have like the right texture, but just like give it like a few hours to like sit so that it can really get its optimal texture. And I just have to say, bakers are so impatient. We always think that hot from the oven, (laughs) eat it fresh, you did the work, it's beautiful, you want to serve it, you want to devour it. But I like your advice on that patience of waiting, because there are a few items in the baking world that the flavors do get better over time. And mooncakes being one of them, we just have to wait. (laughs) I know. I I think because there's like so much suspense with baking, like you don't know (laughs) if it turned out well until the moment it comes out, you know? Like you're just like hoping and praying that like your meringue or something like held up the entire time. So I, I get it, but you just got to have some restraint at the end. This is one of those times as content creators, we say, this is a make ahead tip. <laughs> make it a few days ahead. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. No, and it's one of the fun things about the bakeries that you can get them from. If you do get some mooncakes, like they'll last for a couple of weeks. They're selling them right now for people to enjoy totally. for, yeah, actually the Mid-Autumn Festival. So you can buy them right now pretty much anywhere at, you know, a Chinese bakery. But, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you definitely want to wait because it, it kind of, it's that a part of celebrating. It's like eating, you know, like that special yule log or christmas pudding before you know christmas eve or christmas day like you've got to wait (laughs) for that special thing otherwise you know that the day rolls around and you're like oops it's gone (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly it's also it's also like kind of like um more efficient to like wait until you have a lot of people around you to like share the mooncakes with so that you can take like a small um like a small wedge out of like the different style of mooncakes that someone bought because um, it is like, like if you try to eat an entire like red bean mooncake, like you're like, oh, that's enough, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> very rich. Other people, yeah. yeah, and 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 I think traditionally you're meant to, you're supposed to share mooncakes. Like the shape of them are normally round, although they do come in different shapes now. But like the roundness is supposed to again symbolize the moon and symbolize togetherness. Um, so in in an ideal world, you should be sharing it with some of your loved ones. I I just I love it. And it's a perfect little snapshot of what your cookbook brings. And I think what makes it such a standout is that it focuses on Chinese bakeries and cafes, you know, places that have been inspiring the global culinary scene for generations, but hasn't really been like exclusively covered in a cookbook like yours does. And I just kind of want to tap into that. And what are some of your favorite Chinese bakeries you've been to and which bakeries inspired you to write this cookbook? Yeah, and, and Kai, I so appreciate you, like, saying that because these Chinese bakeries and cafes have been, like, such an important part of, like, my life for so long, like, since I was, like, a little kid, and it still kind of, like, baffles me that, like, they don't have a little bit more coverage in, like, media or, like, the food world, because they are, like, such a pivotal, I don't know, like, type of business and, like, culinary experience for, like, so many, like, young chefs and, like, home cooks now. Um, but some of my favorite ones... 
now I live in the Bay Area, and so I and I used to live in Inner Richmond, which is kind of like a almost like a secondary Chinatown in San Francisco, away from like the main Chinatown downtown. Um, but I I love going to Good Luck Dim Sum, which is kind of like a style of like takeaway. Um, they have like some bakery. Um, like breads and cakes and things like that, but they are known for like their dumplings, which is something I love about Chinese bakeries and cafes is that you can get like baked goods, sweet things, but then also like the best like steamed dumplings all in one order, um, which I think is like kind of unique to that like typology of bakery. Um, and then I also love Harvest Wheatfield. That is like the classic style of Chinese bakery where it's full of. Um, kind of like plastic or glass cases where you can like see all the buns and stuff staring back at you, like looking all beautiful and glistening. And you just get like a bakery, um, you get like a cafe tray and some tongs and you just like load up your tray. And once you get going, it's like really hard to stop. Um, and then I also love Eastern Bakery, which is like the oldest Chinatown or oldest um, bakery in oldest Chinese bakery in San Francisco, Chinatown. They make wonderful mooncakes all year round which is pretty unique. A lot of places only make it around Mid-Autumn Festival, but you can get a fresh mooncake there anytime. I will be adding that to my list because I (laughs) find myself craving mooncakes more than just the one time of year. So now I know where to go for year-round enjoyment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there's also like a lot of um, Chinese grocery stores have like a bakery counter there too and stuff. So I know a lot of people don't live near a Chinatown, but if you can find like a small Asian grocery store or something, a lot of times they have stuff sent to them. I I love that because, you know, where I am, it's more common for me to find a grocery store than it would be some bakeries. We have one or two, but um, one of the great things about some of these grocery stores is they'll sell, uh, like Atlanta's got a really big Chinese bakery and they sell these amazing rolls, um, which I think there's, I don't know, I don't know if it's the milk bread technique or what, there's something about you know, mm-hmm. the Chinese bakery things, they last such a long time. They taste super fresh. Even though this thing was baked in yeah. Atlanta, I'm buying it now in the grocery store. And it's it's amazing how soft the, the sponge roll and cakes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably milk bread. It has like a special power of being soft and fresh for a while. Which we have a total obsession and love for milk bread too. If you've ever heard Kyle Grace yes, and I talk about, about Tang Zong <laughs> method in baking, we are we are like in the fan club. Um, so let's talk yeah. about more about your book. And I hope you're going to tap into this milk bread subject here too. What are some of your favorite recipes in the cookbook? And which ones are the nearest and dearest to your heart for nostalgic reasons? Oh, yeah, it's... I get this question all the time. And it feels like trying to pick like a favorite child. A child yeah. We do. It's like the torture <laughs> question of everything's amazing. It's all beautiful, but you know you have to have something that jumps out at you. It's like oh, yeah. I'm craving that again and again. Yeah, and and especially now, like it's been like a few months since I've like stopped, um, like since I've been in like the full like recipe testing mode for like the book. Cause for a long time I was like just making milk bread like every other day and finding people to like pass off my like um, baked buns and things too. And so I'm, now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I could get some, I could, I could eat some more again. Like I'm <laughs> not sick of it anymore. Um, but starting with the milk bread, like 
two whole chapters are kind of dedicated to like variations on what you can make with milk bread because that's such an important part of like Chinese bakeries are like the buns. And it just seems like whenever you go to a Chinese bakery, you see like a new flavor combination or a new design that they created to like twist and pull the dough to look like something else. And so there's literally infinite combinations and the recipes in there are just like kind of tapping into like the, the surface of like the possibilities that you can use uh, the milk bread for. Um, but just the plain milk bread is like excellent for pretty much everything. Like it makes a wonderful like grilled cheese sandwich or like the base for like a, like an egg salad sando or something like that. Um, but you can also make a really delicious like Hong Kong style French toast, which is just French toast stuffed with like creamy peanut butter um, soaked in like a custard and you pan fry it and then you drizzle condensed milk on it. It's like a super classic Hong Kong um, style diner breakfast. All right, I'm booking um, a ticket to Hong Kong right now. Yeah. I am, I'm done. That perfect. Brian's yep. jaw hit the floor. Yeah. She said custard, peanut butter. Sweet condensed yeah, milk. Yeah, and condensed on. milk. I'm like, and this right here. And books a ticket to Hong Kong. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then using the milk bread, like I, for a, for a savory option, I really like, I love these rolls that I have in there that are for, um, it's pork floss and seaweed. There's pork floss, seaweed, and green onions in there, which is a pretty common uh, flavor combo in uh, Chinese bakery buns. Pork floss is a super funny word to me, um, but it's, it's. I would equate it to almost like bacon bits sometimes because it has that kind of like sweet, salty, like little, like kind of like sprinkle of porky goodness, like (laughs) on baked goods. Um, And and Chinese bakers love using it. Um, The seaweed comes from like furikake, that kind of like sesame seed and slightly sugar and seaweed flakes in there and then aromatic green onions. Oh, and there's also mayo inside. So it has all these like wonderful kind of like sweet, (laughs) savory things layered in there. And they kind of just look like... um, like savory uh, cinnamon rolls because that's how I like cut them and bake them in the pan. But that's a that's one of my favorite uh, savory options for the milk bread. Um, sweet side, there's these amazing salted egg yolk milk bread donuts that I have in there that I hope a lot of people don't sleep on because they are just so good. Like I think milk bread should be like the new like donut base because um, it, it's just like baked milk bread is so incredibly soft and pillowy and then there's some magic that happens when you deep fry it and it expands (laughs) so quickly that you just have the area as soft as donut possible um and you can eat it plain you don't have to make the custard but like i recommend everyone at least make donuts with it at least once I can so. promise you neither uh, of us are going to be sleeping <laughs> on we're that. We're not sleeping <laughs> on that. We're both looking at each other right now. Our heads are nodding. Our smiles are ear to ear. I'm like, this, this is bliss. We have achieved that yeah. level here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. But yeah, those, those are great. And then on a nostalgic level, I have a bunch of recipes from my grandma and my grandpa. Um, in there, in the book, they're referenced as either Gung Gung, which is uh, what I called my grandpa, and then uh, my grandma I called Paw Paw. Um, and so, and when I started writing the book, I wasn't actually expecting to have so many recipes from my grandparents because I never really considered these recipes like something that would fit into like the, I guess the, the style of Chinese bakery, but they just found like a natural home here, um, and one recipe that's like super cherished in my family is Michael Gung's almond cookies. And um, almond cookies, I think, 
are pretty common and popular at Chinese bakeries, but the version that my grandpa always made was just so completely different than anyone that I ever tried. These are might actually be like a little bit more of an American style way of baking cookies. Like a lot of Chinese cookies are kind of more on like the like super crisp, almost like kind of crunchy side, almost like a like a like a biscuit, you know. Um, but these have like the crisp thin edge and like soft kind of like slightly chewy center. And I think that's why everyone loved his cookies so much because they were just different. Um, they're really buttery with the perfect amount of like almond extract in them. Um, and it's a, it's an old recipe that he learned when he first moved to America. Uh, one of his first kind of like kitchen jobs, um, was baking almond cookies, which wasn't a super common job. So he like kind of baked almond cookies like day in day out for a super long time and kind of perfected his own recipe. Um, and over the years he like ended up kind of stopped baking them because he owned his own restaurant. So the recipe was kind of like in hibernation for a long time. Um, but then like a few months before he passed away when I was in college, he and I like spent an afternoon together and like baked together and he like kind of taught me his almond cookie recipe. So that's why that recipe is super, uh, I guess, nostalgic and cherished for me. I, I love the story and I am also going to agree with him that that soft center on a cookie is so amazing. And, um, I have a recipe that my grandfather made for years and years that, I did convert it to a from scratch version to fit within our brand, but I I know that connection you have with him from that time in the kitchen, and I cherish the memories I I have with my grandfather too. So I'm glad we both share a cookie that that our grandfathers brought yeah. into our world. <laughs> yeah, it's really wonderful because all it takes is like one bite or just like the whiff of them like yes. baking in the oven for you to kind of remember them. So it's really. And that's why I wanted to make sure we talked about nostalgia, because there's recipes we love and we're so proud of and we're so excited to share with people. But then there's the the recipes that come from deliciousness, but more than that, the heart. And and I love that you've mm-hmm. included those kind of recipes in the book. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk a little bit about your blog, Eat Your Food, um, which I've been a big fan of for a long time. And I've been following along and trying your recipes uh, for the people who are new to the site, though, you know, what is the one recipe you recommend they start with? You know, what's like the, this is me on a plate, this is my recipe. Like, if you're going to jump into my blog, Ooh. this one's the recipe to know all about me. And then, you know, what's oh. your favorite post to date? Because, you know, they can be two different things. One could be like a, a building block recipe. And then the other one can be uh-huh. like, this is, you know, top of the mountain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, the second one I have to think about it a little bit, but the first one that I think is like a great entry level recipe. I actually didn't share it too that too long ago, um, but I, I shared it like um, earlier this year, and it, it has like quickly become like one of the top recipes on my site. And when I made it, I was like, why didn't I share this such a long time ago? It's such a favorite. Um, but it's my um, Cantonese style tomato egg. Um, which tomato egg is a really popular dish. Also, like, if you think about it, so many cultures make a version of, like, tomato and egg combined. But in, Chinese, in, in like, Chinese cooking, like, so many different regions make a version of this. Um, a lot of times it's, like, stir-fried, like, um, tomatoes with aromatics, like ginger and garlic and green onions, uh, simply with just, like, eggs in there. Some people will scramble, will scramble the eggs, fry the eggs, but what my mom does, she does, she cooks it, 
she cooks the tomatoes down to almost like a like a kind of like a chunky tomato sauce or like gravy style and then she'll drizzle the eggs into the tomatoes like egg drop style which i think i i haven't seen too many people do it that style but my mom tells me it's more of like a cantonese or like southern chinese style way of making tomato egg and it's just so comforting and so easy to make like it's almost like a pantry um a pantry recipe like if you just have some tomatoes or even some people have used canned tomatoes in my recipe and told me that it's wonderful and if you have eggs in the fridge like you have a really delicious meal just waiting for you in a matter of minutes um but you serve this kind of like gravy style tomato and egg over like steamed rice or you can even do like rice noodles or something and i i think it would taste good over a toast um but like there's just something about that kind of like luscious, silky gravy texture that is like, it feels like a blanket. Like it's, it's just so delicious and good. Um, and I think it's a really good entry level for people on my, from who are visiting my blog to kind of get a sense of like the type of food that really inspires me. Um, a lot of times it's like inspired by like my family or like the food that I eat in like the Bay Area, just like part of my life. Um, and ideally, I, I do a lot of recipes that are fairly simple to make, um, but then also I, I, I love like a good challenge. So there's like a blend of all these things, but this is definitely one of the easier ones that literally anyone could make. I love that because it is, you know, like it's you've got all the things that you need in your pantry. And it what's mm-hmm. great is that you're also learning some basic, you know, um, cooking techniques that are, you know, a part of the Cantonese or Chinese tradition of the egg drop and kind of beating that up and heating it together. And I also love that it is. It's like, um, you know, there's a eggs in purgatory and shakshuka and all mm-hmm. these things like tomato yeah. and eggs mm-hmm. is a goes across all these different um, cultures and it's done differently each way and they taste different each way. But uh, I think yeah. that's a that is a great recipe to start with. Yeah. Um, and then can you remind me what, what, what the second one should so this, <laughs> is, this is your mountain this, this is your mountain recipe this is the recipe like you're so proud of you can't like it's your it's your favorite post you've ever done okay so this is my favorite post that I've ever done because I think it inspires a lot of people to really get into the world of making dumplings and making and making dough from scratch. I have, I have a lot of dumpling recipes on my blog that are for like a specific, you know, like set of flavors to make this specific filling. But I have this blog post that's called choose your own adventure dumpling. And it's more like a guide that walks you through how to build your own dumpling in terms of like filling, even your dough based on your own preferences. And this is something that I wrote kind of like early on or like middle of like kind of like lockdown or like pandemic times when people didn't have a lot of stuff to, um, didn't have a lot of stuff that they had access to. I was teaching a lot of dumpling workshops then. They're like, oh, like I can't get this and I can't get that. And I'm like, well, that's fine. You can make a really delicious, flavorful, flavorful dumpling out of pretty much anything. Um, and so it's choose your own adventure style. You can like pick your pork or pick like pork, chicken, beef, whatever protein you want, even vegetarian. Uh, to that, you add like your choice of vegetable. Here, are your aromatics. Here, are your sauce choices. 
Um, and then for the dough, you can get really creative with like, and it's all, I always encourage people to make homemade dough. And I think that's the most satisfying for a lot of people in the kitchen. They're like, I finally made dough that doesn't like stick to my hands and actually like makes pretty dumplings. Um, but like there's the basic dough, but then I give some tips on like incorporating spices and stuff like that for natural food coloring. So you can add like turmeric for yellow, smoked paprika for orange, or if you want it to be like a little fancy, you could put some spinach puree in there for a really beautiful like verdant green color. Um, and then there's a bunch of different folding styles. And so I think that one blog post, it's really fun for a lot of people because it kind of, I, I, I think it, I think it demystifies, like, the amount of skill and precision you need to, like, make dumplings, which, like, of course, like, a really beautiful old dump or a beautiful tray of dumplings that all look the same is really impressive, impressive and satisfying. But they are still just, like, rustic home-style food. Like, it doesn't need to be perfect. And I think that's what the post successfully does for a lot of people. And it makes them feel confident that they can make dumplings at home. That's uh, that is exactly what I need is something that embarrassingly enough I am bad at the dough like you'd think that I'd be the good at that'd be the part I was good at but I completely ruined my dumpling dough when I tried to create um, you know the pork soup dumpling where it's got the gelatin in -hmm. it I made that gelatin from Mm -hmm. scratch I made a beautiful pork filling like the filling was beautiful and I just made it too thick and it was just gluey i was so mad at myself the filling i turned into like a beautiful like a stuffed to cat and cabbage instead it's fine but it was oh, that uh, sounds good too though yeah <laughs> it was it was listen i saved it but um i, I want yeah. yours sounds perfect because i want to master the dough now i really do so that i can play like i want to do the dough first and then get the fillings down because that's that's what i want to do mm-hmm. yeah totally and i I, yeah, the filling is, on a, is really easy because it's like if you think about you're making a meatball, you know, like you just kind of throw in a bunch of things in there that you think sound good. But the dough is a little bit more, I hate saying that it's more of a science, but it's just like that ratio of flour to water is like really important. And like if you, if it's like off a little bit, all of a sudden it becomes like a sticky mess and in the other in the other direction, it could also be too crumbly. And so it's it's just about finding that like right hydration point. And I love that you have the mission of telling people this is where you start <laughs> building the basics yeah. so that you can start to be more and more creative and, and you know, take that post that you've got the guide and then everyone can start adding yeah. fillings and flavors and stuff that, and I love that you've got that as kind of the, the pillar of like, this is your favorite thing because you took it back to the basics for everybody. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why, I, I feel like I tend to do that with a lot of different recipes I guess like I always like going down to like the foundational building blocks because I think as I wrote my book I think I just became more aware to what confuses people you know about like recipes and like cooking something brand new for the first time and so and I probably am giving too much information like there's a lot of instructional how-tos in the book but I'm just really trying to ensure that people feel as confident and comfortable as they can when they make something new. Because again, I never want anyone to feel frustrated and not make something again. I don't think you can ever give too many how-tos. I, I <laughs> love that that, I love that that's what you filled the pages of the book with and what we can find on your website. Yeah. And, and you know, Christina, congratulations again on a book that I'm hope that everyone listening has already ordered a copy of. And if they haven't, they will after our conversation today. 
I love it. I have got plans. I mean, now I've got donuts on the list. I've got the the Hong Kong style French <laughs> you toast. Hong Kong. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've today's conversation has just added even more to the list. And then I've got some bakeries to visit too. So I love that you're you're giving us the guide of where to go and then what to make when we're at home too. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you ha- I have your whole schedule filled up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really I'm like weekend plans accomplished. So the book will be with me yeah. this weekend and I'm going <laughs> to read it uh, on the plane right over to Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to have to read yeah. it on my flight to Hong Kong to go have that French toast in Hong Kong. See, you've you've inspired more travel, <laughs> more baking and uh, just so much inspiration in the pages of the book. So thank you for joining us here on The Crumb. And, and I can't wait to follow along as the book gets out into the world to see what everyone's making oh yay yay so fun to be here yeah well thanks for joining us and we'll have to schedule another follow-up chat soon Thank you, everyone, for being here for my dream come true. I've been wanting to talk with Christina for such a long time. I've been following her like since 2018. I know that feels a long time ago. Um, And I made her black sesame mochi muffins. And like, I was just like, gosh, I'd love to just chat with her, but I'm always like too shy. And then I have a podcast with Brian (laughs) for Bake From Scratch. And I can lure these people I've been dying to talk to on the show to talk about baking. I mean, this is this is the most gratuitous job. I love it. And to celebrate, you know, we love to celebrate with our friends in the baking world when they have cookbooks releasing and such a, you know, a moment for them and for us to have their amazing recipes in the kitchen, on the cookbook shelf, anytime we're in the mood for mooncakes and milk bread. So she's got us completely hooked up with two of my absolute favorite things and so much more, I I should say, and so much more. But that was an amazing conversation. She's helped plan trips, bakery visits, recipes. I mean, like a life guide for me today. Yeah, rec diets, you know, all around the world. I mean, that sounds good. No (laughs) such thing. And you know, one thing I did want to mention too, she was giving us a list of her favorite, you know, Chinese bakeries in San Francisco and where she wants to send people for that same inspiration that she finds. And I'm so excited also because in the September, October issue of Bake from Scratch, we include a list of six Chinese bakeries that are mail order you can mail order mooncakes so for anyone listening that doesn't have a local bakery to stop in and get your mooncakes or you're not going to make them at home we have a list for you so that you can also enjoy the mid-autumn festival's signature confection um, on september 21st in the pages of bake from scratch you'll see our list of bakeries and then of course we've included mooncakes and milk bread in the magazine so that we can also celebrate the book launch in the pages of the magazine Yeah, and it's a great way to celebrate and support some Chinese bakeries that have been around and Asian bakeries that have been around for, you know, generations and have been bringing amazing food for a long time. So get out there, see if you can find some good milk mooncakes from that piece. You almost said milk bread. I almost said milk bread. Well, that too. Get get milk bread too. (laughs) While you're there. Yeah, gosh, it's not. Yeah, you don't just get one thing. You just like stock up. All right. Well, this has been an amazing episode. I'm so excited for September 21st. I'm in the milk bread and mooncake mood after this conversation. And I hope everyone will order a copy of her book. Kyle Grace. Oh, 
what are you baking this week on milk bread? <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, I, I like I was gonna go with the donuts. I'm just jumping no, straight into the donuts, yeah, salted no, egg yolk, yeah. um, slash just finding any way I can buy it so that I can get to it faster. I like yeah, it. I just want to get to those. All right. Well, everyone, preheat your oven. It's time for you to bake, and we cannot wait to chat with you next time here on the Crumb. In the meantime, I wish everyone happy baking, and we'll chat with you next time. If you liked our podcast, please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about us. To keep up with all of our baking endeavors, follow our editor-in-chief and co-host, Brian, on Instagram at Brian Hart Hoffman. You can follow Bake From Scratch on Instagram at The Bake Feed. For online recipes and fresh baking content, go to our website, bakefromscratch.com, and sign up for our newsletter, Preheat. Finally, for in-real-life baking inspiration, grab our magazine on newsstands, or subscribe through our website.